Subject. Hi, it's Ashley from Twitter. Date. Friday, December 20th, 2013 at 3.51 p.m. Hi, Lena. I said I'd email you, but I don't have anything significant to email you about. Still, when you say you'll do something, you should. So I am. Have you ever made a friend on the internet? Like, a real friend. Not just someone who likes your more obscure Instagrams of 90s lesbian indie film characters, but someone you can call from Amsterdam at 2 in the morning when you're on your book tour and losing your fucking mind. Someone you entrust with your house keys before you've ever hugged them. Someone you can talk comfortably with about uncomfortable things. That's what Ashley Ford is to me. It all started here. In lieu of anything significant to share, how about I share a worry? Something normal and natural. I think that'll do. My boyfriend, my young Ira Glass, was raised much differently than I. He was cradled in affection and support in a way I wasn't. Thank goodness, because I have to assume that's why I have such an amazing boyfriend. I spent Thanksgiving in L.A. with his family, mom, dad, sister, amazing single aunt who doesn't have children and is a retired president of LACMA. They liked me, Lena, and I didn't feel good enough for them to like me. How's this for feminists? I almost never understand why anyone would want to talk to me or read what I write. I'm still fighting something in my gut that suspects I'm so much more mediocre than I realize. I'm Lena Dunham, and this is my podcast, Women of the Hour. I started this show... It's a mini-series, five episodes plus some bonus stuff, to celebrate the women who blow my mind. To introduce you to women I think you should know, or women you already know, who I think you should get to know better. All these women live with passion, play with the idea of what a woman can be, and make me want to switch careers ASAP. This first episode features some stories about friendships. We'll tell stories of love and sex, and work and bodies, and life and death in future episodes, but I wanted to start here. That's mostly because female friendship has been the driving force of my life. I love loving men, but I love knowing women. These relationships strengthen and define, torture, and enrich me. Ashley and I met on Twitter in the midst of yet another feminist firestorm that I can hardly remember. I stumbled across something she'd written for BuzzFeed called 13 Must Reads for the Black Feminist in Training. I bought all the books on her list, including one called Divided Sisters about interracial friendship between women, which we read together. I complimented Ashley's writing, which had a haunting and poetic quality, and we soon became pen pals. What I liked most about the beginning of our friendship is that we got honest with each other right away, about our lives, about our fears, about our realities. There's also the fear that the people who enjoy my writing, who think I can really do something with my voice, will discover my fraud. I wonder if they'll say I fooled them or that I fooled myself. I wonder if one day it'll all click and I won't have to fake it till I make it. I'll just know that all this shit in my head is the fear I hate to let anyone else see, but I do anyway, because the last thing I want to be afraid of is myself. 
Even now, I'm worried you'll read this email and think to yourself, oh no, I've accidentally given my email address to an uncomfortably vulnerable verbose oversharer. But I also feel like what's the point of communication with anybody if I can't make it count for something? If I can't make it real? It hardly seems worth the effort. Here's the thing. I think you're doing awesome. I think you might get worried, like I do, just in different ways. I think that's okay. Your feminism is yours because it absolutely cannot be anyone else's. You are considerate and you are kind. You think critically. If nothing else, you said something nice to an uncomfortably vulnerable, verbose oversharer who lives in Indiana and made her feel like her writing could get somewhere, like she could matter. Like even if everyone else finds out she's a fraud in her strength, she could still move them. She could still be fucking worthy. I'll get used to my boyfriend's family's love. Turns out, I might be kind of lovable. And worthy. And so are you, Lena. Because you're not a fraud in your heart or your strength. You're real. I'm so happy to know you. Your e-friend, Ashley C. Ford. Saturday, December 21st, 2013, at 12.08 a.m. Dear Ashley, Not only did I not think, oh no, I've given my email address to a vulnerable, verbose oversharer, but I actually thought, I just got an email from one of the most beautiful writers I've ever read, and I have a pen pal like the kind I always dreamed of in fourth grade. Thank you so much for this email, which I read multiple times and which I needed. Because you're right, I do worry. I've been thrust into a position I don't always know how to manage, and just trying my hardest doesn't feel like enough. It's so important to me that people feel included by my voice, or just generally included, and if I play any part in that, then hurrah. And so these Twitter arguments, twitguments, kind of break my heart, even though I ought to be immune by now. So hearing from you, in this way, well, I can't tell you what a gift it is. A holiday gift, no less. I was immediately struck by your writing. It's just the kind that compels me. Deep yet funny, immediate yet with the wisdom of distance, and details that could only be yours. I'd love to read that voice talk about anything, but you have such a specific and beautiful story to tell, one we all need to read. There is some stuff. Stuff equals essay, but essay feels pretentious. In my book, due January 1st, so help me God, about rape. About the experience of having your sexuality trespassed upon, and even though it flowed right out like I'd been waiting to write it for years, I've been scared to publish it. Because suddenly that becomes the whole conversation. It's a sexual assault memoir, when really that's just a tiny star in the constellation of my life. Worst metaphor ever, Lena. The way you write about these things, like they are so personal and yet they are all of our burden, made me feel strong and ready to share that piece. So thank you. I'm sure I'm not the only reader you've given that to. I totally get it, Ari feeling like a fraud. I've had the opportunity to meet and work with a lot of older, long-established writers and filmmakers, and guess what? They feel it too. Women feel it worse because they don't have the same examples that esteemed white men do, and so many white men are born feeling esteemed, but we all have the sense that someone else, some goblin with a typewriter, is doing the writing for us, and we are passing it off as our own. The day after I won my Golden Globe was one of the saddest of my life because I felt like I was hoarding someone else's prize in my room. But the amazing thing is we keep going. Maybe that's why we keep going, to prove the skill and the drive is really ours. I'm so happy you've met such a wonderful man. 
I, too, have a bespectacled boyfriend beloved by his parents and coddled like the baby Jesus, and you're right. It makes for a mighty supportive mate. I can't tell you how many times I've accidentally blurted out, why do you like me? And if you're anything like me, you also have the side that goes, but why wouldn't you like me? I'm the bomb. And then I hate myself for that thought and start back with the thought A, and then I rinse and repeat. Okay, now for pen pal questions. Where in Indiana do you live? What do you like to do in your spare time? I'm Lena. I'm 27 and live in Brooklyn. I like to browse Etsy and read. I haven't exercised in over seven months. I'm really so excited to read your book, and please let me know how I can help. I always hoard my writing for what feels like years before I can share it, though in TV, years is actually three days. I hope we can meet someday. Your new e-friend slash pen pal slash fan, Lena. <laughs> this feels like reliving our first dates. I know. It's so crazy. It's really fucking intimate. I know. <laughs> I mean, just to be totally honest, and I feel like I can be with you, even though we're on a podcast, like, <laughs> I didn't want you to feel like I was reaching out to you demanding some kind of education. Mm-hmm. I didn't want you to think I was reaching out to be like, hey, you wrote about books about intersectionality, so can you really quick explain to me how to be an intersectional feminist so that the internet <laughs> won't be mad at me anymore? Like, right. Because that's not your job to explain. Mm-hmm. When you wrote back so warmly and when you were able to be present, that was really an amazing, magical gift. I never felt you being demanding of me in any way. And I wanted to sort of return the favor and not at all be demanding of you. I think my fear when we first started talking would be that you would think I wanted something from you. Because I understand. It's so funny because I was scared you would think I wanted something from you. Yeah. So I decided to just be, you know, like very upfront and honest in a way that I hadn't been with a new person at that point in years I hadn't let someone in like that but for some reason I just felt really safe it it also felt like I was practicing because I was in this new relationship and I was trying to be very open with him in a way that I hadn't been in a relationship for you know well really ever and suddenly there was this person in my life and she was really awesome and really cool and seemed down to clown <laughs> down to clown so so i was like let me try to be vulnerable with this person and, and really be my true self and just see how that goes i just felt like i didn't have anything to lose we'll hear more from ashley later in the episode but for now let's hear what happens when two people who were clearly destined for best friendship finally find one another Individually, Amy Sedaris is a hilarious actor, writer, and lifestyle guru. Todd Oldham is a designer, artist, and cultural force. Together, they are more iconic than a jello mold. You ready? Okay. You gotta have friends. <laughs> la, 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 la. Hi, I'm Amy Sedaris, and I'm sitting here talking to Todd Oldham yep. at his studio. Are we going to only speak in low FM voices throughout this entire yes. thing? Yeah, that's a great, uh, terrific idea. Thank you for calling, Amy. Thank you for calling. Next caller, please. Okay, do you, Todd, do you remember the exact moment when you realized after we met that we were going to be friends forever? It was that moment that we met. Yeah, I think so. Because that's when I immediately started asking for things and you gave them to me. And I was like, oh, this can go on forever. Well, that's one of my favorite joys in life is making you things. 
I love it when you shock me. And not just when you say horrible things in elevators with other people, <laughs> in it, but when like the psychic parts, that's the part. I know you never admit to this, but mm. you are so psychic and I've seen it a million times. And I just love it when, when you pop out with that stuff. Yeah, weird. We're both psychic, a little psychic. That's kind of fun. We don't have to explain a lot. Right, right. We don't have to explain a lot. Todd and I used to have a club called the Crafty Beavers. Mm hmm. And they were like, well, I don't know, six or seven members. Yep. But we would always pick up uh, something we were going to make. Tab would teach us how to make it, and then we would make it. And it was always fun. Um, but usually when we're together, usually doing something, some activity, you know, where I'd lay on the couch, and then he would do something for me, <laughs> always. But he didn't mind it. I mean, I could help, but I would just be in the way. <laughs> and um, that's what we would do for all afternoon. He yeah. would play hooky from work. And uh, he'd come over and bring me lots of presents. And then I would unwrap them, lay on the couch and watch him make things and rearrange things. You, you did a lot. Well, I did. But I always had fun. And you were the best hostess. You always, I mean, so many times you just made a cake or you always had a variety of drinks to choose from. You're the, per <laughs> you're the perfect hostess. <laughs> Can you hear this? It's a package of Smarties that we're sharing. See, I didn't come empty handed. Do you remember what we did when we, when we did your floors? Um, we wrote that note. Uh, Jerry Blank note and put it was under it the... Was it Jerry Blank? No, it, it was, was Jerry, something it... about somebody being kidnapped, wasn't it? Oh, right. We, we, we made some special note that we buried in between the floorboards so that whenever right. somebody took it out, they would Because we put in floating it. floors, <laughs> yeah. which don't actually go on the actual floor. There's a little bit of floating. Exactly. There, but that's right. We did that. And then I remember going to your country house and going through all your stuff when you were and Tony were in bed, and I found that <laughs> jar of sequins, which I took. I still have. And then I, I realized you were up for me taking something from your house every time I went to visit. <laughs> and you're no, like, where'd like you get it? that? I have one just like that in my house. And I was like, oh, actually, it's yours. <laughs> you're my favorite person to photograph. And oh, go done. on. I'm sorry. Check, 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 <laughs> to check. Is this working? Yeah, we make a good team. It's true. It's very true. That was Amy Sedaris and Todd Oldham. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad those two total freaks found each other. We here at Women of the Hour have assembled a crack team of advice gurus to answer your most pressing questions about the mysteries of life, love, and body hair. We talked to the wise and wonderful Emma Stone. Um, oh God, why did you ask me to do an advice panel? And the incomparable June Squibb. <laughs> oh, I love it that Emma Stone and I are giving advice. We asked BuzzFeed readers to submit questions on our show's themes, and submit them, you did. Now you get the benefit of a very wide-eyed, red-headed youth and a woman in her 80s who ain't taken no bull. On today's theme, friendship, you asked. My best friend is moving 800 miles away from me. We've known each other for years, and I don't know what I'm going to do without her. Please give some advice on how I can deal with this situation. And then there's two question marks, so they're really concerned. Mm-hmm. Well, planned a visit. Uh, you know, with, there's certainly... Uh, flights or trains, buses, cars, whatever. Just make sure that you have a way of seeing her. Uh, the internet, you can Skype and, uh, you know, see each other on your computers. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's super hard. One of the greatest things about true, true friendships is no matter how much time goes without actually getting to see each other, it kind of feels like no time has passed at all and you're able to sort of catch up. I mean, I, I understand how hard that is, but I think you guys can do it. My friend keeps canceling on plans and says she has a good reason, but I know she's lying. What do I do? Get a new friend. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I am that friend. <laughs> Sometimes I get so overwhelmed with all the thoughts in my head that I just want to stay in my room and I feel like I can't communicate with people. So maybe give her the benefit of a doubt and maybe she's an anxious person and just needs a little time. I, the old thing used to be, I remember when I you know, had all my girlfriends, was they would drop anything with the girls for a, a young man <laughs> or a boy. And I think that's wrong. I think, you know, if you make plans with a friend, then, then you should keep it. Now, here's another one. How do I tell my best friend she's actually the problem in all of her failed relationships? Wow. Why would you want to? Oh, boy. Are you sure? Are you positive? All right. Well, if you're sure, that depends on how scary she is. <laughs> so true. She might not want to know. She might not want to know, and she might not appreciate that information. But if she seems like someone that's open to doing the work and, and looking at herself, I feel like there's a gentle way to take that person out for lunch and say, I've noticed that, you know, X, Y, and Z in a really gentle, loving, you know, and I, and I love you and maybe this is something to look at and maybe not. And you could tell me to shut up and, you know, you never have to bring it up again. That was Emma Stone and June Squibb answering your friendship questions. Stay tuned for more advice from this indomitable duo in every episode of Women of the Hour. Next up, we hear from the kids at 826LA, a nonprofit that helps children fall in love with writing. We ask them what it means to be a friend and how being a friend even works when you're young and unsure. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm 14 years old. I'm um, Militia. My name is Cindy. Xavier. My name is Angel. Hello, I'm Gabby. I'm 12. Hi, I'm Natalie. Hi, my name is Michelle, and I'm 16. Friendships, when you're, like, in middle school, are, like, you're beginning to, like, make closer friends, and then you're, like, drifting away from people that are just, like, ugh. Well, we have a little squad, and each one of us has unique qualities. Girl Zelda... Leslie, Loa, Kiara, Michael, Mario, Jackie, Ruben, and Stephanie is a really hilarious person that she likes talking about what's going on like with the pre like president's elections. They're basically the cool people in school. To me they are. Maritza, she likes a lot of like bandas and recodos, a lot of those Mexican type music. And then there's um Gabriel, he's one of those tall shy guys who only talks to us, but with the girls, he's really shy. I was in PE, and I was like, who's your favorite One Direction person? And she was like, my name is Harry and stuff, and I'm just like, oh, that's mine too. So me and my friends, we call the popular people the peepees, the oh. popular people, and all of those people hang out in this one place, so we call it the PPP, the popular people plaza. I tell her secrets, but just to be the ones, not the big ones. I am a good friend. I have a lot of other friends out there so we're eighth graders we're practically high school you can like do anything we want my advice to friends would be you listen to them that you sit down you talk with people even though they don't have anyone else but they talk to you that's a good friend stay weird without honesty and trust it's really hard to be your friend just keep doing you because no one can change the way you are if you give me like food for me are you like you're like one of the OGest friends of all time Big thanks to the staff and students of 826 Los Angeles. Check them out online. Date. Sunday, December 22nd at 4.08 a.m.
Dear Lena, you replied. This is already going better than I assumed. Way better than with my fifth grade pen pal. She asked to be reassigned to someone who didn't talk about books so much. She was totally missing out. I was 10, but I knew that books like Maniac McGee and Walk Two Moons were going to be really important to the trajectory of my life. I was right. What can we do except try our hardest? What is beyond that? There will always be people who see your success and try to come up with a million reasons why you don't deserve it. There will always be people who think you should be all things to all issues because of your position of influence. These are usually the people who can't do what you do now. You want to make room for all kinds of voices. That's admirable. And you can do it. But do it in a way that feels right. Learn from the moments when it doesn't pan out and rejoice in the moments when it does. I am of the mind that genuine effort is worthy of celebration. Celebrate it. Then get back to work. At some point, the haters will have silenced themselves with their own hate. And Lena, my dear, you will be playing victory music. Thanks for all the kind words about my writing. It's not bullshit when I say it means a lot coming from you. Writing about sexual assault is maybe the strangest shit in the world. Sometimes I shake when I write about it. I also try and paint my nails red before I write hard scenes. It makes me feel brave. But I don't always see those scenes coming. It's weird what will set you off. But you know why I keep writing about it? Because it's not all I am. And anyone who knows me knows that. Your memoir won't be a sexual assault memoir because you are not rape girl. That shit happened to us. It didn't become us. I'm glad you got that from my writing. That's my dream, you know, that me being strong will help someone else be strong. I do it so no one thinks they're alone in that experience. The first essay I wrote, I shared with my ex-boyfriend. He called it emotional porn so I didn't tell him it was being published in a literary magazine. I didn't write nonfiction again until we were broken up. I am certain that part of me writes to outrun the shame he made me feel that day. It was like he sat me down and said, I see the fraud in you, and so will everyone else. The skill and drive are mine, but they're fueled by much more than me. I am both startled by Kelly's love for me, and greatly appreciative parentheses. Kelly Stacy is my boyfriend who has two lady names, in parentheses. I love my family, but we're very different. I've had to create friend families to make up for what I lack in those relationships. With Kelly, there is no lack. He's supportive in a way I've never experienced from a boyfriend or most of my family. To him, he's just being normal. To me, he's being everything. Pen pal answers. One, I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. I live in a neighborhood called Irvington, named for Washington Irving, who wrote Sleepy Hollow. We take Halloween very seriously here. I'm a regular at a restaurant called The Legend, where the bartender looks like Richard Gere and Dustin Hoffman had a baby together. Two, in my spare time, I write more, read more, listen to more Kenny Loggins, bake, and go on long walks in my creepy neighborhood. There's a 400-year-old tree five minutes from my house that I try to see as often as possible. The kids in the neighborhood think I'm a witch who goes there to cast spells. They're not altogether wrong. Making wishes is kind of like casting spells. 
I haven't exercised since November of 2012. I'm excited for you to read my book. I'm trying, trying, trying to finish it. That's my goal. We shall see. You know, 2013 is the first year since 2005 that I haven't visited New York at least once. I miss that city. I'm going to get back on track in 2014 and make my way out there. I always flirt with the idea of picking up and moving there. I have a few friends who have made that leap. I have to get braver. I say that all to say, I hope we can meet someday as well. But I don't expect you to come to Indianapolis. Unless you're dying to see a Colts game at home or want to try the best donuts in the world. All my best, Ashley. P.S. Let me know what you think of Divided Sisters. I'm going to skim it in case you want to chat about it. Date, Sunday, December 22nd at 3.31 p.m. It's me again. I sent that last email at 4 a.m. Please forgive my typos. Also, I have pen pal questions for you. What's your favorite part of your own face? If you weren't a writer, actress, director, what would you be? XO Ashley. Date, Wednesday, December 25th, 2013 at 2.01 a.m. KCF. Hope initials aren't too presumptuous. Boy, oh boy, you write good emails. And thank you for the kind things you said. I can't tell you how much they mean. I found your writing at a moment I really needed it, and it's wonderful to be in touch. Okay, first things first. Kelly Stacy, two girl names is amazing. My father's name is Carol, which I'm convinced contributes to him being a sympathetic character, and I automatically love all boys named Kelly, Leslie, Shannon, etc. Character building. I'm so happy you've found someone like that. It's so important as a woman, but furthermore, as an artist, to have someone saying, hey, I got you. Write what you want. Say what you want. Fail when you fail. I got you. Side note, I'm writing this on an iPhone while my boyfriend Jack sleeps, and he muttered, I love you from his dream state. Case in point. Which brings me to that ex of yours. I hate him. And that's not a word I use casually. Okay, maybe it is, and I need to stop. But seriously, some part of him was so intimidated by your vulnerability, so scared by the glimpse of his own, that he could only be unkind. What a sad state to live in. Also, the use of the word porn about anything besides actual porn makes me want to bust heads, and I feel so relieved he's behind you and you're writing again. I've had similar reactions to my work from people who think it's some exercise in estrogen exhibitionism. My parents are both artists and taught me early on that your work chooses you if you let it, and it's a better guide than most any other guide. That being said, I'm sure there was many a time when my dad wished painting colorful cartoon penises and sex-slash-race wars on alien planets had not chosen him. So it goes. Where is your ex, miss? Are you with KS? Yeah, I call him by his initials now. I am valuing it as the calm before the storm of releasing a new season, finishing the book, trying to love the moment of quiet instead of running from it. My plan to quit Twitter for the holidays failed, either because Twitter is fun or I'm a compulsive addict. Maybe both? I feel very unskilled in the department of willpower. Okay, answers to your great pen pal questions. Fave part of face. On the days I feel good about my mouth, I feel really good about it, though logically I know it's my eyes. If I weren't this, I would want to work with dogs every second of every day. I love dogs. Not just my dog, 
Every dog I meet, I want to know. I love imagining what they do in their downtime when humans aren't watching. Okay, you answer these, and also, do you have any phobias? What's your biggest vice? I'm going to really delve into Divided Sisters tomorrow, after all the snacks have been eaten and the gifts opened and the laughs laughed, and maybe the cries cried? You never know with family. Love, Lena. P.S. My parents' dog is from Indiana. He's in a dog wheelchair, and I may come to Indianapolis on my book tour. P.S. I'm all typos all the time, so never be sorry. People in both our lives are telling us, like, you can't be friends with a person from the internet? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You know, like, my mother and, you know, a couple of my friends were like, you're being catfished. I saw a movie about this. Yeah. My <laughs> friends were like, you can't just randomly email your most intimate thoughts, facts about your sexual history, and facts about your parents to a person you've never met. This is how you, like, get something published in the New York Post that says you used to be, a, you know, like, sell sex or something. And <laughs> I actually remember saying to someone, if this person is catfishing me, she's so good that I don't care. Like, if I found out this was, like, a 70-year-old white man, it would be fine because I'd be so fucking impressed by the emails that I'd want to be friends with him, too. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it would be weird. It would be weird. <laughs> but it's also just so crazy because we were putting so many of our hopes. I mean, now that's almost exactly two years ago. And to look at the fact that now, like, here you are and we're right now we're sitting yeah. together in my house in New York and this is where you live now and mm-hmm. you make your living as a writer and... All of the stuff, it was almost like having these, like, bottles you throw into the ocean with your wishes. It was like all of it came true. Yeah. Wishing is kind of like casting a spell. A lot of those things, when I wrote them to you, were things that I had not said out loud to anyone. It was still so helpful just to know you believed in me and that you were in my corner. It made me feel like taking a leap and knowing that, you know, even if I fall, like somebody would be like, well, I believed in her. (laughs) Like, I don't know. That's how I felt when you were like, you're nice and you try your hardest and you do your best. It's so easy to forget when we're being attacked by anyone, be it like, you know, when you're being belittled by your ex-boyfriend or when you're being Mm -hmm. attacked by the internet to remember that like, you are a human being who's trying their hardest and doing their best. And just to have you like reach across the web and be like, you're you're trying and that's enough right now mm-hmm. was everything. And yeah, it was really amazing for me to realize like you were the first person I ever articulated my fears about writing about sexual assault to. You're the first person I even said I was writing about it. Mm-hmm. I You're the first time I expressed like that is going to be a part of what I do. When we first started becoming friends, My thing was, does she have room for a friend like me? And I was worried that I would have to be very aware of my place in our friendship. I mean, I remember, like, this is a different kind of fear, but I remember being scared, like, Ashley's going to figure out that, like, the internet was angry at me because, you know, there wasn't enough diversity in my show first and second seasons or that I've sent, sent a stupid tweet before that I thought was a joke and wasn't. And she's going to realize, like, I'm not a person who she wants to associate with. I was aware of the things, you know, like people were saying, I was aware of the things that you had said. I think my background with my relationship with my dad and my dad being in prison for sexual assault, I've had to really realize that people do and say a lot of things 
And some of them are really bad, like sexual assault. And some of them are growing pains, like saying something off color or saying something offensive. In our conversations, when we talked about things like that, and we do like in later emails, we do talk about stuff like that. We talk about Divided Sisters in those emails, which is a book about restoring and promoting female friendship across lines of race. Yes. And your job as somebody's friend isn't to pretend that you two are the same race and that all your experiences have been the same. Like, I remember I used to think that what made you a good friend was just to be like, what? I didn't know you're black. I didn't know I was white. This whole thing is what? You're crazy. (laughs) And it was like, I read that book and it was like, oh, no, let's acknowledge that our experiences of moving through the world have been vastly different based on this fact. Yeah. My name is Molly. I'm Alice. Molly Young and Alice Gregory. We met uh, when we were seven years old. Seven? I didn't realize that. Seven years old. I'm glad I've known you for a long time just because you were so funny looking as a kid. And I like having that memory superimposed on your current face every time I look at you. I think it's still there. It is. Why did we live together? We were 24 years old. You were living in the same apartment you live in now. I was living in a very tiny studio apartment. But half the week, or like every other week, I was going to visit my then boyfriend in Boston. Then boyfriend, now husband. So I was only there half the time, and then whenever I was back, we would just hang out all the time. So I would end up falling asleep at your house. And eventually it just seemed pointless to have my own apartment. Those were some of the happiest months of my life. Yeah. I just liked coming home to you. Yeah. Or having you come home to me. It was the one period in my life when I didn't dread hearing a key in the door. Jesus. My adult life, I mean. Well, what do you remember about that year? We went through a lot of yogurt. Kept all my clothes in a locker. Still have that locker. I found blonde hairs everywhere. You taught me to make the bed. I did? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't do it anymore, but... We don't fight. Do we fight? No. No. Have we ever fought? Yeah, but not about anything. I've gotten, like, mildly annoyed at you. And you've gotten, like, mildly frustrated with me. Like, the same kinds of condiments. Eat the same kind of food, generally. Generally. Mustards. Yeah, vinegar-based things. Sour tastes. This is so boring, it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This might have to be... I think we have to not do this. I think we might have to kill this. Like, I actually think... That's a good joke. I have no thoughts about you. (laughs) Me neither. None. I just have feelings for you. But, like, boring feelings. No, I mean, I think the nice thing about these feelings is that they're inarticulable, right? I just have, like, fond, warm feelings for you. It's like getting into a warm bathtub. Yeah, same. I don't spend a lot of time analyzing you. I spend zero time analyzing you. (laughs) I spend zero time questioning your motivations. That's one of the highlights of being a friend. People are obsessed with female friends. People are obsessed with female friends. I am not. Clearly. (laughs) I'm obsessed with you, but not the concept. I mean, the mark of a real friendship is its specificity. It's like being in love, and that kind of precludes theorizing. I don't have any grand theories about female friendship. I don't even, I don't have grand theories about you. I just recognize you in your glorious specificity, Alice. Thanks, Molly. Those are my friends Molly Young and Alice Gregory, who platonically shared a bed for a year, aka my life's great dream. So I will pose it to you, dear listeners. 
Who wants to share a friendship bed with me when we're in our 80s? It's amazing the way we forgive our friends for things we wouldn't tolerate from anyone else. Next, you're going to hear from a pair of women, Nancy and Celeste, who have been friends for almost 40 years. They play Mahjong every Thursday at Celeste's house, but each of them has a major flaw that the other overlooks, and it's the one argument they have never settled. Politics, no, we won't. We don't talk a lot about it because we have different uh, approaches, but we're, we want the same thing. It's the same goal, what we want, but we just see it differently. My name is uh, Celeste Andrusi. I've lived in Brooklyn all my life. My name is Nancy. I live in Brooklyn all my life as well. I've been friends many years. It's probably about 40 years ago. So I guess that's a long time. It is a very long time. Nancy is really very pro-union. And of course, Nancy would never agree with me on this. But I do think that unions are so political and their goal is just to just keep themselves in business. And I think uh, it's going to be uh, damaging to our country. That's interesting. <laughs> she does say, I, we can't talk about that because then you yell at me. I guess I do. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, well, I'm a union person. My father was a union person. My brother-in-law was big in the unions. And as I was a young person, I used to walk the picket lines with the people that were that were striking and... I see the unions as something that's necessary for all of us because I think everybody should have the benefits of the union. They've made my life very different than it would have been if I was not in the union. Me too. I, I belong to the union and I'm enjoying the benefits, but now I think it's, self, it's almost in a self-destruct point. But I think I know how she feels and I think yeah. she knows how I feel. The other day you said something, I remember, and I said, I'm not going to talk to her. That's why we're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't, I would never want to risk my friendship over something that <clears throat> neither one of us are going to solve anyway. I think one of the best things about our friendship is that you can say what you really feel, and if you have problems and things going on in your life, this is a person that listens, and if you don't ever want to talk about it, they don't bring it up. We respect that, I think. Nancy, I find Nancy's been very kind to me. Wow. So I really respect nice. her for that. I like that. <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. You're very kind. There's no That's why she's leaning to the There's... left so much. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, Celeste, talk about kind. There's nobody that I know that does as much for people as you do. Come on. I never met anybody like you. Maybe we are very much alike in many ways. More so than we realize. <laughs> okay, so this is the first installment of what we're going to call Lena's Corner, a time where I highlight a uh, historical woman who I think you might want to know more about. This first one, we're going to focus on Edna St. Vincent Millay. There are elements of Edna St. Vincent Millay's story that seem straight from a children's book. Raised in poverty by a mother who toted around a truck full of classic literature, the sprightly red-headed tomboy was recognized for her talent at a young age. By chance, a generous benefactor overheard Edna reading a poem and offered a shining future by way of a paid college education. At Vassar, Edna found friends, female lovers, and dozens of admirers. In one letter to a friend, she wrote, Please give me some good advice in your next letter. I promise not to follow it. 
She often skipped class when inspiration struck, sending in a sick pass. On one such occasion, a teacher spotted her from the window of the very class she happened to be missing. Confronted later, Edna responded, At the moment of your class, I was in pain, with a poem. She was suspended just before graduation and almost prevented from getting a degree until 120 professors signed a petition on her behalf. In a move that's quite familiar, she went to New York after college, where she lived in the city's narrowest house, which sold in 2013 for nearly $4 million, which actually isn't that much for a house in the West Village. She returned to Vassar in 1921 when the Alumni Association commissioned a play. Edna wrote a poetic drama on friendship. At age 31, she became the first woman to win a Pulitzer for poetry. Apparently incapable of doing anything badly, Edna wrote an incredible opera and a number of plays. A vocal feminist, open bisexual, and active critic, Edna's voice rang out for the first half of the 20th century. Before tumbling down the stairs to her death at age 58, she published 16 volumes of poetry. Just a year after leaving Vassar, she wrote one of her most famous poems, First Fig. My candle burns at both ends, it will not last the night, but on my foes and oh my friends, it gives a lovely light. Date, Wednesday, December 25th, 2013, at 5.12 p.m. Happy holidays! Here's the thing. I'm all about nicknames. I love them. Love that you use my initials because I love my name. I recently realized that should I ever marry, I don't think I'd want to change my last name. It might have something to do with my father being in prison my entire life and how his last name is the only thing he gave me as a free and innocent man. The only thing I still have anyway. Hmm, that got deeper than I meant for it to. You know how I can tell when I really like someone? I start calling them a nickname in my head. It's an affectionate thing for me. It's how I know I'm starting to feel emotionally safe. It's strange because I don't really know you. Not really. But I like you a lot, just based on brief Twitter interaction and a few emails. My gut likes you. My gut is famously accurate. When I listen to it. And so, the last time I emailed you, I wanted to call you Lena D., because I realized that in my mind, I've been calling you that. Man, I like that Lena D. I wonder how old Lena D was the first time she read this essay. Could go hang with family, or I could email Lena D. By the way, your guy seems like the warmest guy. Like he's just tucked you into the coziest part of his heart. A man who loves you in his sleep has to love you with all of himself. He just has to. My Christmas is in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I lived almost exclusively until I was 18. I am not with KS, which makes me a bit sad. I miss him. But he's feeding the homeless and hanging out with his aunt's 50-year-old lady friends who are his favorite people in the world. 50-year-old, mostly unmarried, career-minded L.A. ladies. These are my boyfriend's people. Answering my questions to you. Fave part of my face... My smile when I'm wearing glasses, my eyes when I'm not. Not to brag, but I stopped two guys from fighting on the bus with this smile. That's a total brag. If I wasn't a glorified secretary, I would be writing full-time. That's the transition I'm trying to make in my life. With my residency and a braver heart, I'm making moves in 2014. Your questions for me. Phobias. 
I am terrified of earthworms. Don't know why, don't know how, just plain scared to death. Biggest vice. Does procrastination count? Then definitely that. If procrastination doesn't count, it's cheese. Definitely that. I hope you have a fantastic day. You are endlessly diggable. Love, Ashley. Date, Friday, December 27th, 2013 at 1014 a.m. Hi, sweet ACF. I love being called Lena D. In fact, in high school, I very briefly pursued a, in quotes, career as a stand-up comedian. My stand-up, in quotes, name, I had a stand-up name, an identity like you would at some fetish club, was Lena D. Then, not content to just rock the initial, I chose to spell it Lena D with three E's. Yes, three E's. I am flooded with shame. The career flamed out, partially because I was terrible, and partially because, as a 15-year-old girl, I sensed the inherent danger in hanging in smoky clubs with dissatisfied angry men in their 50s. I was offered one creepy back rub and ran for the hills. I wouldn't change my last name either. You have a great one, and that makes so much sense, re your father. I am so curious about so much in regards to that relationship, what it must mean to you, and what the challenges are. And I know that those questions will be answered in lovely and surprising ways by your book. So much time is spent dissecting the complexities of the mother-daughter bond, and yes, it's a rough one. But fathers, they have so much power and so much influence, and in our hearts, we are always sort of married to them. I have had a much easier time detangling myself from the challenging aspects of my mother, whereas I feel like I'm a piece of my father, his leg, or at least his ear. I can't imagine, but want to, the infinite layers that have been added to all of that by the separation you experienced from your dad. I'm so glad you write about it. Okay, back to this email after a break. The break came because my boyfriend forced me to turn the light off and said, your pen pal will still be there tomorrow. He takes sleep very seriously. How did you and Kelly meet? Do you feel like being in a relationship is very natural to you? For me, it is in certain ways. Being a partner, sharing a dog, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is someone else who is excited about the season finale of Scandal. I cherish those things, even when they aren't easy. The main time girlfriendhood is challenging is when it cuts into my writing working time. I often have an urge to wake up at 4.45 a.m. for an hour or not speak to anyone from 1 to 9 p.m. or write you an email at 11.45 at night after I've been contemplating its contents all day. And Jack is an adult who keeps an adult schedule, and though I know some focus is healthy, I fight it like a toddler fighting nap time. I hope you've had the world's coziest holiday. Do you love or hate New Year's Eve? I fall firmly on the side of hate, but I want to turn it around this year. Jack and I are headed to Miami for a few days with our sisters. Jack's sister Rachel is one of my best friends and actually introduced us. My sister Grace is a radical six-foot-tall queer girl who graduates from college this year and is usually way too cool to hang out with me, so this is a coup. We're in the airport and I'm listening to her explain non-monogamy to my boyfriend. And I like it. I love reading your answers to our pen pal cues. My biggest vice is also procrastination with a side of napping, and my phobia is stairs that I'll fall down them. I walk like a 100-year-old protecting my brand new hip. You're pretty darn diggable yourself, ACF. Do you ever imagine your book cover, and does it have a title? Love, Lena. P.S. I will say this. I think there is something to be said for writing in bursts, at night, and when you can, like it's your little secret. That's how my book has gotten born, and that's what's always felt natural. 
There's something so scary about giving that secret away, but also so empowering. I love that you've told the world you're writing a book. Because now, you just have to give it to them. When you came to the city for us to meet for the first time, like, that was a big deal. We kind of, it was like a little bit like how I hear internet dating goes, which it was, it was finally like, okay, we've done enough of this emailing and it's time for you to get your butt here so we can figure out if this is going to work in person. Yes. And you flew in on a Friday night. Yep. And I left you my keys. Yes. And I remember having a conversation with my mom where I was like, no, mom. She was like, she's going to be there when you get there. And I was like, well, actually, no, her plane's late, but she left the keys. And my mom was like, you are going to die. Like nobody, <laughs> like there's no way this woman, like she's on TV. She did not leave her keys for you. And you were like, mom, you don't know how stupid she is. Yeah. <laughs> and no. I showed up and you were sitting on the blow up mattress and you were going to stay for three days. We weren't fucking around. We no, were like, we weren't. and everyone in my life was like, you cannot have a person that you met online stay in your house. So I was like, great guys. I just won't contact you for three days while I'm hanging out with my internet you friend. You really didn't, which was so, I don't think, and I don't know if at the time I fully appreciate, like I do now after, <laughs> after knowing you for, you know, and being around you for like two years, like now I understand how hard it is for you to unplug and to sort of person. go away and just let yourself have time for three days while we, we just hung time. out. We went to brunch with your friends. Yes. Then we went to a lit- very literary party in Cobble Hill. We went to the back of a bar where lots of young, fancy blog writers were fancying around. Yes. And you were so much more chill than I was. I was like, all these people are giving me a nervous breakdown. They're all looking at me. They're all judging me. They all want to write a blog entry about how ugly my eyebrows are. And you were like, hey, guys, I'm Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> and then on Sunday, we did something really special. We yes. went to church. church. <laughs> we went to Baptist Church in Harlem mm-hmm. at First Corinthians. We went with my friends, Andrew and Brett. And I was like, oh, Lena, it's black church. Don't worry. Nobody's going to know who you are. Only and, one person And did. only one person in this huge church. Only one person knew who you were. And, and I was she just, was like, oh, hey, love the show. And it was the chillest, <laughs> but I was so wigged out because it was like my associations with church are like my dad's waspy family in Connecticut sitting morbidly at a funeral, like not crying because their feelings like turned into raisins a thousand years ago. <laughs> I was like, church, like what are we going to do at church? And then we walked in. And it was like this joyful place. They gave us cake. There was cake at the end. It was the church's anniversary. But I remember the cake situation so clearly. During You just kept being like, this is just what happens. Like, there's all this singing. Like, there's so much fun. And we were like, <laughs> yeah, no, this is super fun. And then we were leaving. And they started handing out cake. And you, I swear, it was the loudest thing at church. You just went, there's cake. <laughs> I so couldn't believe it. I was like, we're in church and I get to fucking eat cake. Yeah. And then we saw, and also there was like lots of like gay people and cool ass fashion oh, yeah. people. Like I was just like, oh, this is not what I understood church to be. I understood oh, yeah. church to be like my relatives who wanted to pretend I wasn't half Jewish <laughs> staring at me like I was like a piece of shit that got dropped on their doorstep. <laughs> nope. Nope. This was a different thing. This was way better. And then we went and ate at Amy Roots. 
And then I remember we were leaving Amy Ruth's and we wanted to get a cab downtown and I put up my hand and it pulled over really fast. And Andrew was like, so that's what it's like to be a white girl. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and I got, I was like, no, sometimes on Hudson Street, cabs are really slow to stop, like if it's raining or something. And he was like, nice try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember having this revelation that weekend, which is going to sound so dumb, but I was like, we were sitting and talking just about everything. And I was realizing like, my job wasn't to try to tell you or anyone that I understood your experience. My job was just to listen. Like you were telling me about your father. And I realized I was like, I don't know what this is like. Mm-hmm. And I was like, just like I can't say like, yeah, I get what it's like to be a minority because I was chubby in high school. Like there's just not crossover. My job was just to exist for you and to hear you and how like the most adult and beautiful thing we can do for each other is not to try to insinuate ourselves into all of each other's experiences, but just Mm -hmm. to like listen and be like, yeah, I don't know what that's like, but I can see that you're in pain. And so I'm here. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's what you've been for me. And that's what you've been to me. It's a big part of the reason why I love you. What's really funny is how when you post pictures of me on your Instagram People are always like, yeah, right. You hired her. You don't really have a black friend. (laughs) It's a big one. It happens like every time. And it makes me laugh so hard. Do you remember when the woman came up to you at a party and said, I know you're Lena's black friend, but I'm going to be her black friend? Yeah. It was crazy. And she was like, I'm going to take your spot. I was going to take your spot. And Ashley was like, what if there were two friends? And also, that's not really the way to do it. There is a later email where I basically (laughs) tell Lena that I'm really, like, falling in love with her in a way, you know, in in a very, like, becoming very intimate friends, and we're sharing very intimate things. And I sent her an email that basically said, hey, I know you're busy and you've got a different kind of life than I have, but you can't just leave without letting me know. Like, you can't just stop answering my emails if you're gonna go away you have to tell me and i think i wrote back to you like five minutes later yeah (laughs) and was like i don't have time to write a full email right now but don't worry and also you've just nailed my biggest fear because my biggest fear and something i've experienced too much in my life with friendship with other women is people disappearing and not telling you why and so i think i said to you like you are echoing my biggest fear which is somebody making the choice to remove themselves from your life without giving you any warning or like without being generous in their treatment of you. And I was like, I'm not going to do that to you. Mm -hmm. And I also thought like it was such good practice for both of us to ask for that because in a way I felt like you were asking me for what you also kind of wanted to ask Kelly for, but didn't feel comfortable saying, which is like, you were like, I'm falling in love with my boyfriend. And I don't feel like I can very easily say to him, hey, if you change your mind about me, will you let me know? I think we even spell it out in some of the emails that like, this is just a chance to to practice a little bit of like that radical vulnerability with somebody who is not beholden to me yeah. in any way and doesn't owe me anything, but I'm going to show her my whole self and I'm going to hope that that's enough. And it's not going to involve sex, which is yeah, Because <laughs> when like the sex thing gets involved, it's a whole other complicated issue. It's a issue. whole other complicated issue. So, no, we weren't going to bone, but we were no. definitely going to, like... Talk about boning. Talk about... Well, we talked about boning, like, a ton. Yeah. Like, Not boning each other, boning in general, yeah. but, you know. Yeah. It's cool that we live in a world where we have to clarify that. Yeah, that we have to clarify that we weren't talking it's about dope. boning each other. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Say dope again. It's dope. <laughs> This podcast was produced by Jenna Weiss-Berman with help from Liz Watson and the All-Lady BuzzFeed Pod Squad. Eleanor Kagan, Erica Kramer, Meg Kramer, and Julia Furlan. We had writing help from Alex Ronan. Our music is by Andrew Dost, and our theme song was written just for the show by the amazing band That Dog. It's actually the first song they've recorded as a group since 1997. Andrew Dost also helped with that. That song is called I Say What I Mean, and it's now available on iTunes. Emotional support provided by Jack Antonoff, who was nice to me when I sobbed for four hours on New Year's Eve when Jemima called me trashy for inviting people to a restaurant and asking them to buy their own food, and to Kira Garcia, who let Jenna fly out to record this two days after their wedding, which is sometimes grounds for divorce. Thanks to BuzzFeed. Why don't you try and check out their other podcasts, Internet Explore, Another Round, and Rerun. Have some fun. Thanks to everyone in today's episode. Check out our bonus episode coming this Sunday. My dear and ancient friend Jemima Kirk and I discuss what annoys us most about each other. Spoiler alert, there is a lot. I mean what I say.